we were talking before about accepting in the positive and negative traits that have been disowned. Well, this voice is a survival strategy. This voice is trying to protect you from not belonging. This voice is trying to protect you from things like shame and humiliation. And if we welcome in that voice, and more important, say thanks a lot and mean it, but I don't need you to protect me anymore. Because I'm looking across the room at a man who's 44 and at least presents as fully capable of taking care of himself. He may not be able to quiet his doubts. He may not be able to think clearly all the time. He may even make mistakes, but he can put food on the table, clothes on his back, take care of those he loves, right? Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. What does shame feel like for you? I mean, where in your body do you experience it? For me, it kind of comes in two parts. Part one is it feels like my whole body wants to roll up into a ball, like one of those roly-poly bugs. Part two is the blood rushes to my face and it fills my cheeks to the point where they're fire engine red and you can actually feel the heat radiating off of them. I call those red face moments and I've had lots of them, but there's several that I can recall with crystal clarity. Now it wasn't girls in high school and it wasn't being embarrassed in public. My shame red face moments almost always happen in the context of work. And there's one scenario in particular, a regular phone call with a partner in a former venture where we were just checking in on a project we were working on and judging the progress being made. It was pretty straightforward and pretty normal, but it never felt that way. It felt like I was being judged on the ultimate question. Am I a good, valuable man? This is what my subconscious would constantly ask during the conversation. And the answer it would constantly hear through its distorted lens, no, you're not. You're not a good enough man. You're not a valuable enough contributor. And the shame of being exposed would fill my cheeks with redness, like an inflated balloon. But who was actually doing the judging here? And perhaps more importantly, who held the power? At some point, this question of my goodness was asked of me by someone who I had given the ultimate authority to ask it. And at some point, the answer I heard back was no, you're not. The shame and the pain that came with that answer was too much for the little me to take. So painful, in fact, that little boy is still within me today, constantly asking and answering the question for me over and over again. It's much easier, as he sees it, to feel the self-inflicted shame of not being good enough than to actually experience the shame of someone else seeing my flawed nature. As Parker Palmer says, I've learned it's better to conspire in my own diminishment, to shame myself, than to possibly give someone else the chance. And that's a choice being made in those red-faced moments. But I never saw that. As I've come to recognize that little boy more and more and appreciate just how clever and hardworking he is, I see a major flaw in his view. He holds the power where he assumes he has none. In those red-faced moments with my former partner, it wasn't the partner who held the ultimate authority to judge whether I was good, valuable man. It was me. It was me who assigned the power to him. And the trap was, 
I didn't even see that to be true. It just felt like that's the way the world works and he gets to make that call. But that's not how it works. That is not who gets to judge me here. And I do. And the new question I want this little boy tracking is simply this. What does being a good, valuable man look like to me? What if the greatest risk isn't being judged by others as not good enough, but in preventing the fullness of Dan from showing up in the world? We often use a phrase at Reboot, use work to do your work. My journey from the red face moments to asking new questions of myself and reclaiming some of the power is precisely this. We have an opportunity to ultimately use the challenges in our work and in our life to step more fully into the person we can be in this world. Our guest today has been on his own journey of growing up. Joe Wilding is the co-founder and CTO of Boom Supersonic, an incredibly cool Colorado-based company focused on bringing back supersonic air travel. Joe comes to Jerry as a podcast listener and to share his own journey and his own process of growing up in a way that matches the inner and outer, to show up in a way that appreciates but doesn't surrender to the thoughts of his own inner five-year-old. And perhaps this path to growing up, to better leadership, lies in seeing an even more choices where we assume we have none, in reclaiming the power we're giving away, and in really asking ourselves the question, what would it look like to bring the fullness of myself? What would it look like to bring the fullness of Joe? Enjoy. Reboot Your Year is our invitation for you to pause and honor the transition into the new year. This simple yet powerful free five-day course will guide you through the annual transition with grace and open you to the promise and hope for the year ahead. The course unfolds through daily emails, each with a cone to consider and a guided journaling practice handcrafted by the Reboot team. Each practice takes less than 20 minutes to complete. We'll help you enjoy this course so much You'll make it part of your annual practice and even share it with teammates and colleagues. Learn how to reboot your 2019 at RebootYourYear.com. It's really good to meet you, Joe. Same here. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. And um, why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Joe Wilding. My current role is uh, co-founder and CTO at Boom Supersonic, which is a company uh, here in Colorado working on trying to bring back supersonic air travel. Oh, that's all. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) We're just building aircraft. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, why don't we go back to um, how we first met, which was via email. Sure. And if you can recall, because it was eons ago. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, what was it that, that had you reach out? And if I remember correctly, you'd been listening to a couple of podcasts and you had some thoughts. So why don't you tell us that story? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I first found the Reboot podcast, um, probably a year ago and started listening and, and, uh, loved a lot of the, the messages you had for a lot of the, uh, you know, founders and, and, uh, CEOs and so forth, the guests you had on the show. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was really resonating with me. And I would say for the last quite some time, probably decade now, I've been trying to work on a lot of the themes that you talk about in the show, although I would say for quite a long period of that time, um, it was less uh, less focused and less um, just sort of not making a lot of progress. Just I kind of knew I had things I needed to work on and I knew 
I was trying to kind of suck up every book or any reference or whatever I could find, but again, again, it was very misguided. And so when I started listening to the Reboot podcast, I initially just kind of decided, wow, this is some really good stuff. I'm going to go back and just kind of start at the beginning, mm. um, you know, which at this point there's, I forget how many episodes. Uh, too many. Yeah, too many. So <laughs> so for the last year, really, I've been slowly getting through those, you know, mm. just a couple of weeks uh, for the most part. Mm. Um, and, and you know, took, took away a lot of little things from every one of those. And I would say over the summer, and I don't remember exactly when this was, I used it a few months ago or something, um, I was kind of going through some changes in my role at work and um, kind of doing, starting to do a lot more kind of introspection, kind yeah. of radical self-inquiry, as you like to call it. Yeah. Um, and there, there was one pivotal day I remember. I was actually going up to Breck for a wedding, listening to one of the podcasts on my drive up. Breck as in Breckenridge. Breckenridge, yes. So, so Joe is a real Coloridian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, there was an episode, and I don't remember who it was with now, but there was mm. a, a quote in the episode that just really resonated with me. Mm. And it was based on a transition I was kind of starting to go through. I had just taken a new role in the company mm. um, where I had been chief engineer, and I all, all the engineering team had been reporting to me. And at that point, it was, I don't know, 30 engineers or something like that. And, and indirectly, I, mean, I had a couple leads below me, but um, but I knew from the, the very first day I spoke with the uh, one of the, the CEO of our company, one of the other co-founders, I remember my very first meeting with him, I told him, I'm excited about this project. I really want to help, but I'll tell you right now, I am not the long-term engineering lead of this company, you know, once we get to hundreds or even thousands of people someday. So so I've always known that about myself. And, and, and But what I said was, but early on, I can do that. And I've led small teams and I'm fine with that. But as some point what's talked about a transition well mm. so this summer we finally kind of got to that point where we start to make the transition and mm. for some reason I was really a little bit struggling with the transition and and what it what it ended up being was uh this, this image that I had in my mind of what my role should have been versus what I actually like to do and what I actually like to focus my time on and those two not being in sync. So the quote in the episode that really resonated with me was a David Axelrod quote, and I'll probably butcher it here, but it essentially was, uh, and it's about politicians, but I think it's a pretty universal quote. It's something effective. There's politicians who like to do something and there's politicians that want to be someone and I only work with the former. So, mm -hmm. so that really resonated with me of, I don't need to be someone. I don't need to be, you know, what I've always had in my mind of what a what a leader, a technical leader in an aircraft company is, or, or someone who can take one of these complex projects and really get it to fruition, including building the team and all the people management and all those mm. aspects of it. Because at my heart, what I really want to do is build an airplane. I just want to get an airplane done and 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 see it come to fruition, see it come to the marketplace, and and actually make a difference in the world. So, so what what kind of that listening to that episode and listening to that quote really kind of sunk in with me as like, okay, I just need to throw away this idea of I should be X or you know I need to fit into some mold. I just need to do what I do in a way that is most effective for the company and and gives you know myself and the company the most chance. Of success. Yeah. And I remember the original emails thread that we had, which was just a, you know, the first was just sort of a random uh, toss in email. Yeah. And it was actually a thank you yeah, <laughs> for, the, for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how it started. <laughs> and then, and then we just went back and forth a little bit. And yep. if I recall correctly, I remember saying that uh, you might consider just accepting yourself as you are right and and starting from there and and um, I hadn't realized until 
you were sort of reviewing it now, that there was this kind of decade-long quest mm-hmm. to quote-unquote be authentic. Right. And I'm putting that in quotes. I'll explain that in a second. It, there's an irony in in that quest. And the irony, of course, is going to a bookshelf. My book is coming out in June. I'll say that again. So when my book comes out, you should go to a bookshelf. But the irony is to go to a bookshelf to find out how to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes so much sense. And it's 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 funny you say that because I would say in the last month or two months, whatever it's been now, since we first connected over email, I've been going through even more transition um, mm. uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, listening to the podcast, I've actually been reading a lot of the books that you recommend on the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, um uh, Parker Palmer, I've read several of his books. Um, uh, Steve Hollis. Um, James Hollis. James yeah. Hollis, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in right in the middle right now of one of Sharon Salzberg's books. So oh, good. All, all, all of those books are, are you fantastic. You have drunk the reboot Kool-Aid. I have. <laughs> I have. <laughs> and it's so funny because one of the, the takeaways I have in the middle of this journey, if you want to call it that, um, is my – so the way I am wired, I'm a very logical person. I'm a very uh, – yeah. Uh, it's just just who I am, and and I I tend to I love books. I love reading books. I love taking away things from books. I love after I read them, make a list, you know, summarize the book, make an outline, and, and so forth. And it's I kind of hit a wall probably a month ago, kind of the idea of this this inner and outer self, and and you mm-hmm. know which comes in all of these books, mm-hmm. and it's actually everywhere you look in the world. You, once you kind of understand these concepts, you can't not see it anymore, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. And uh, anyway, so. So, you know, understanding that process and, and the whole idea of like, listen to what you, your, your, your life is telling you and listen to what your soul is telling you and pay attention to that. And, and that's a very different topic than the logical side of me saying, okay, I'm going to make a list and I'm going to follow it and I'm going to get through this because nothing on a list can you write that says, okay, just listen to yourself and then the answers are going to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the analogy I kind of started to get to is I feel like the way my brain works and the way I'm wired is kind of like a computer program in a way. Like I can type in a code and I can say execute and it goes off and runs. And then I want to sit there, you know, wait for the computer to catch up and say, okay, here's the outcome. And this whole process like doesn't work that way. That's right. That's <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's, it's this, okay, I ran it. Now what? And I was really struggling with that. And so what I've kind of forced myself to do over the last couple of weeks is just kind of to be okay with that and just say, well, okay. <laughs> well, maybe that's actually the outcome that you're looking for. But I want to take it back a little bit. You're how old? Uh, 44. 44. Yep. So for, let's call it 43 and a half years, mm-hmm. there was a way of being. Yep. That Joe had. What prompted the search, say, 10 years ago? And what prompted the search over the last 10 years? And what's fueled that? Sure. What, what was going on for you? Um, it's, it's really the leadership topic. So I would say roughly 10 years ago, I was very much in all of my jobs, I was very much an individual contributor. So I was, you know, sitting behind a computer all day long, you know, writing code or doing analysis or Producing whatever. output. Exactly. And so, you know, there were certainly some people aspects to that, but, but on a pretty light side, you know, maybe 10% of my day. And then as I got to a certain part of my career, like most people get to, you start to get these 
these uh, uh, requests, I would say, but also kind of internally driven of like, well, I should start, you know, rising above that mm-hmm. from, a, from a career standpoint. Mm-hmm. I should start taking on more responsibility, start being more of a lead and that sort of thing. And I think what happened back then was my personality was not very supportive of that. Like I was very introverted and still am on a lot mm-hmm. of levels. Um, and so I kind of like could see other great leaders around me and it's like, oh, I want to be more like them, but mm-hmm. I really wasn't wired that way. So mm-hmm. I kind of started to explore like, well, why is that? And, and what can I do about that? And I would say I got partially down the path, good, good enough to where I could take on much more leadership roles. And I did that, you know, quite a bit for the last 10 years, mostly in smaller groups, smaller projects, right. that sort of thing. But then I would say the last couple of years, it kind of um, was at a point of like, okay, maybe I need to take that to another level now right. and to continue working on that. Right. But at the same time, in the last couple of years, and, and really intensely over the last year, I've kind of had more of this like enlightenment of like, Okay, but do I really want to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, do I really want to keep growing that area or do I not? And should I like change what I focus on and change the direction I'm going? And, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I still don't have great answers on any of that, but that's, mm-hmm. um, that's what I'm exploring at the moment. And, and as I recall from our email exchange, you, you'd come up with a, a view of yourself um, around uh, – who you were and how you were wired. Mm-hmm. What was that view? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm I, what I what I call self-diagnosed as as somewhere on the Asperger spectrum. I think that's what you're referring to. Um, so um, I, I've never been formally diagnosed in that way, but um, you know everything I read about that is very much points in that direction, and uh, and that is fine. You know, like honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, it's like, who cares what label you put on anything, right? What, mm-hmm. Where I do like the label and, and like knowing that about myself is it gives me insight of to like where to point myself for resource. And um, so I've read many books on, on Asperger's, both biographies of people as well as, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of self-help book type, type categories on that mm-hmm. topic. And some of them have been super helpful as well and have really given me some enlightenment onto you know, how my brain is works and how to, how to get the most out of that essentially. But so, so let, let, let's hang out with the notion that this quote unquote diagnosis is self generated. Sure. Yep. And really what it, what it sounds to me is that the label is only important because it's giving you in, it's giving you a structure with which to look at the insights that you've had about the way you process and the way you think about things. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what, given that, how does it impact your leadership? How does it impact who you are? And, and how does it impact your life? Um, so there's a great question. Uh, several, I would say several things I've taken away from that. And um, one is, and, and I think we talked about this a little bit in our emails as well, how we're both fan of of biographies, you know, yeah. as a genre and learning about how other successful people, the struggles they've gone through and maybe changes they've made in their life and that sort of thing. And so reading reading those stories of people that have that have been successful with, you know, some part of the Asperger spectrum, and mm-hmm. obviously there's a wide spectrum there. Mm-hmm. Um it is is helpful in that it it's in many ways you know one is just comforting you know mm-hmm. it's, it's always nice to know like oh I'm not the only person that mm-hmm. <laughs> struggles with these things or mm-hmm. thinks this way or whatever mm-hmm. but um, and you know some of them have 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 some sort of strategies in them um, and so so 
you so a couple ways, and, and honestly, I I view this part of me whether it, that is what it is or not. Right. But, but the one part of it that I really resonate is just the way my brain is wired um, from how it processes, both on the logical side, but as well as there, there's from what I've read, there's actually different kind of versions of Asperger's mm-hmm. on. Uh, some some people it affects them more visually, some people more numerically, some people linguistically, and so forth. I'm very much the visual mm-hmm. one, where I everything I do, everything I, I process, I can see as an image in my head. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's like that to some degree, mm-hmm. but for me, it's like really strong, mm-hmm. which is what makes me a really good engineer. And so, what some of that insight has helped me with is actually helping other engineers, um, mentoring them, and getting you know explaining tough concepts to people. And it helps me in two ways. One is like early in my career, I used to be able to do some sort of a design problem or something. It just would instantly just make perfect sense to me. And I would show it to somebody else, and they're like, "I just don't get it." And my thought was like, "How can you not see this?" Mm. And you know, it turns out in some situations, well, they literally can't see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the same way that it's in in my head. So just sort of understanding that gap mm. has been helpful mm-hmm. to to help cross that bridge. Like, okay, let me back up and let me explain this better. Or let me draw it for you so I can, you know, show you what I see in my head or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's been good. And then, you know, I think the other part of it from a leadership standpoint, maybe more importantly, is just the, just knowing uh, I have a hard time having empathy like instantly for, for someone when they're going through something hard or something like that. Like I almost have to at times like, force myself like, okay, I need to put myself in their shoes for a minute and really think through, you know, I said this or somebody else said this and how is that actually making them feel and what are they actually doing? Whereas I think in some people that comes much more natural, like it's second nature, just like for me, seeing an image of a mechanism is second nature, mm-hmm. like seeing that, 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 uh, emotional side of a topic is not second nature for me. I have to actively process through it. So I think understanding about that about myself and, and, taking, you know, a little bit of a pause to get through that sometimes has been helpful. So um, I'm curious as to the way in which, so, so what I've just heard you describe is that you've, you've created this through your insight, through your logic, through, your, through the way your brain is wired, mm-hmm. you have um, gained enough insight about yourself to be able to then apply those uh, that thought process to your leadership, so that you can adapt your leadership, so that you can respond to others. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good summary. Okay, so I just want to pause and point something out. Mm-hmm. Okay, I am super intuitive and empathic, and I have done the same thing. Okay. Now, why am I telling you that? Uh, I don't know. I guess just to say that what I've gone through is normal. Yes. Yeah. Normal and arguably even necessary mm-hmm. in not only our march towards leadership, but our march towards adulthood. Mm-hmm. Right. There's something, and, 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 and we went into this a little bit on the email, which was, I remember writing something like, so what? Right. Literally, so what? So this is how you are wired. Mm-hmm. I am wired slightly differently. Yep. But we both are doing the same thing, which is I am reaching across the table. I am putting myself in this moment into what it would be like to see things visually. Mm-hmm. And I'm connecting with the fact that there's we're in a room that has whiteboard on the walls. I would want to jump up and draw this out, only the 
poor listeners wouldn't be able to hear us. They right. might hear squeak, 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 but they wouldn't be able to, right? So I can relate to that. Right. And, okay, so that's some aspect of who I am. What I heard you do was take this aspect of you and apply it almost like an engineering problem. Right. And say, how can I engineer the solution that I need so that I have the capacity there? And I'm thrilled to speak to you because what I'm hearing is not only is it, you know, the podcast that we've developed has a reputation, right? You know, at what point does Jerry make the person cry? I'm joking, but, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, or at what point, every now and then, does Jerry cry? Right. Right? It's not necessarily just about that. It's mm-hmm. really about connecting at, at this sort of ground level of who's this guy, Joe, and who's this guy, Jerry? Right. And how are we, how can we relate so we have that connection that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to go back to that original search that you had, which was, how can I be authentic? Mm-hmm. I think you're being authentic right now, dude. Y- yes. <laughs> and? <laughs> yes, and. Um, so this is this is something that I've, put a lot of thought into in the last month or so. And I think, so, so I've actually broken this down in my head into two, two avenues on the authentic side. And um, th- so, so, you know, this comes back to the idea of you know, the inner and elder self and trying to, to bring those together. Right. So I actually think there's, that there are two sides. Of, I mean, obviously, there's two sides. There's the inner and the outer. But uh, you know, a, a lot of your podcasts talk about the, the shadows that we cast mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and em- embracing those in some ways because you can't just squash them. You can't just ignore them. But how do mm-hmm. you recognize them and 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 use that to mm-hmm. to 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 your advantage almost if if, if possible? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's to me that's like the the the, the dark side of that of mm-hmm. of. Yes, there's these some things I don't really like about myself. I'm going to figure out how to manage them or, mm. or, or whatever. To me, there's another side, though, that's uh, there's also a lot of good stuff about me mm-hmm. that actually gets squashed. Yes. And how do I bring that to the surface? Yes. And so so um, to me, I, I agree with you. I'm getting to the point of where I'm being more authentic. But I think to get fully there, like those two need to come together in that the shadow things are not going to go away, but I but I understand them and have a way of using them to my advantage. Or, or okay. and and I don't mean that in a in a manipulative way, but but yeah, yeah. You're but doing then also exactly what we recommend you exactly. Do. But then right. also taking those good things that maybe some part of me is saying, oh, but that's not me. Like I'm going to be too vulnerable if I bring that out. Um, not that I say that out loud, but I think a lot of people do things like that. Mm-hmm. So so. What's the struggle that you have there? Um, I think what it is, if I'm honest, is I think we all tend to build ourselves into a, a, an image, right? I mean, this is kind of what we started with. Of, mm-hmm. of, and there's lots of versions of that. It's, it's for me early on, it was like, oh, I want to be a, a chief engineer. Like in my role in my field, in, in the airplane design world, that's like what someone like me would aspire to be. Mm-hmm. I want to be the guy who's who's – who, who designs an airplane, has this team of people under them, which I, like I started with, involves a lot of things. It involves technical side, people management, and, and, and so forth. And so 
so that's one version of that. I think there's other versions that we have this image that we're trying to live into, like, um, like I want to be a man, I want to be a father, I want to be a husband, and you know, there, what what does that mean exactly? And and I think there's like the man is a perfect one that I've been thinking about a lot lately. If people mm-hmm. say like, what is it to be a man? You mm-hmm. know, like there's connotations that go with that. Like, right, you're very mm-hmm. strong, and you're mm-hmm. very, um, you don't have a a soft side. You don't mm-hmm. have a a, a, a I, I don't even know how you to describe it. You don't have doubts. It. Yeah, you don't have doubts. You're fearless, right? Like like uh, mm. things like that. And you know, if I'm honest with myself, it's like, no, I I have all those things. I have fears. I I have mm. a soft side. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, etc. Et and so, I think in some ways, though, society like tries to build this image. Like, well, no, if you have that stuff, like you're you're not fitting this role of a man. And and you know, I think media and all kinds of sources like mm-hmm. instill these ideas. So. So, uh, so I think that's why myself and probably many others tend to squash some of that kind of stuff. And I think we do it differently in different audiences. You know, like we might be more open and more uh, honest with ourselves or, or more, uh, you know, loving or, or tender or whatever words you want to put on it, like with our spouses in private or with our kids. Whereas if you're out with your guys in the bar, you're not going to share the same stories. You're not going to have the same emotions. And I think there's some aspect of all of this is like, well, there shouldn't be those divides, maybe a little bit, but like kind of bringing those two sides together the, 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 the shadows and the stuff that gets squashed into, I want to be the same person all the time. So let me reflect back what I hear you say, because I think we're in violent agreement, which is always a weird phrase. Okay. We, we I, use I, that word I, a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that yeah. term. Well, it's a very, it's a very masculine thing. <laughs> yeah. We're in violent agreement. Okay, we're in agreement. Um, and just just to, to clarify terminology, when Carl Jung described... Uh, the shadow. He was talking about the qualities of ourselves that are both considered negative and positive. Okay. The qualities that are considered both negative and quality and positive. And so, for example, um, you you touched upon vulnerability as a as as perhaps a quality, mm-hmm. or let's call it perhaps. Uh, in my case, it's, uh, and I've mentioned, I've described this before, um, I have come to understand that my ability to cry is in fact a superpower. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing with that phrase is I'm taking what may have been a negative in a hyper-masculine, uh, almost toxic masculine, masculine uh, structure that says, no, little boy, if you cry, even if you are feeling pain, physical or emotional pain, you are weak. Mm -hmm. And if you're weak, you're not going to be one of us. Right. And so the big three that I always focus on, love, safety, and belonging, belonging is threatened. And maybe even safety. Mm -hmm. Because as you recall from being a boy. Yep. If we were vulnerable, we might actually have gotten hit. hit, Right. And we might have gotten really beaten up. Yeah. Right? And, and it's certainly if we were isolated, we might have gotten hit. Um, and then we, those boys become men who don't know what to do with their feelings. 
And as Parker, our mutual friend Parker Palmer, will say, and violence is what we do when we don't know what to do with our suffering. Mm -hmm. And then we're surprised that um, these little boys who are taught to squelch a natural human reaction, ow, it hurts, I'm going to cry, thus denying the inside of ourselves, the true nature of who we are, our true feelings. Mm -hmm. So is crying a negative? Sure, perhaps. It gets tossed into the black bag behind us. It becomes part of our shadow. But so might be joy. So might be, so might exuberance. So might um, be an artistic expression. So might be a desire to move or live in our bodies. Or as a boy, um, I wanted to dance. Mm-hmm. I wanted to dance like there was no tomorrow. I would go to sleep at night and to comfort myself before falling asleep, I would imagine myself dancing. But it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I actually allowed myself yeah. to dance. Gave yourself permission. And gave myself permission to feel my body, to mm -hmm. be in my body, right? So we toss all of that into the background. Right. Then we assign ourselves a task because we've evolved, you and I as men, mm -hmm. to be authentic. Right. <laughs> right. And yet there's a whole half of us, if not more of us, that's denied. Yeah, it's been repressed. It's been completely repressed to the point where it's even, it's, it's, we pretend it doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. Who, me? I don't want to dance. Right. Who, me? I don't, I don't need to cry. Who, me? I don't have doubts. Who, me? And it shows up in leadership all the time. I don't have any question about what we should be doing. I will plunge your head leading our team even if I don't actually have the answers. Mm -hmm. I will not admit that I don't even have the answers. It's all part of the same process. And then there's a consequence that happens, which is not only that our leadership and our acts of leadership um, are out of touch with those parts of ourselves that could be of service to ourselves, mm -hmm. but we suffer. Because there's a part of us that's being told constantly by another part of us that we are unacceptable. Right. Does that have any resonance for it, you? It totally does. And for me, I think that that internal signal or message is somewhat subconscious, but somewhat conscious too. Like there's aspects to both of it. And and it's hard because it's like, you know, in, in life, you don't want people telling you, you can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, or whatever. And then when it happens internally, it's like the ultimate pain. of, oh, And it's relentless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you can turn off other people. Right. But you can't turn off that voice in your head. Yeah. Right. And what was it like for you, hearing that voice? And what were some of the things that that voice would say to you? You know, I don't know that I'm fully in touch yet with that answer. <laughs> like, uh -huh. say, this is a relatively new path I've gone down. Um, 
I, I, so I, I don't know. I don't have many specifics yet. But um, well, when you do, were describing before, because mm-hmm. one of the ways to give voice to it, yep. When you were describing all the attributes of what you thought a man should be, sure, or a leader should be, right. What was some of those attributes? Just give me a two or three of them. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's like on the man side, it's it, it, none of this is absolute, of course. There's 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 sure. versions of it or whatever. But on the the man side, it's it's the stuff like, well, you you know, you shouldn't be soft. You shouldn't be you shouldn't care about certain things. You know, if somebody makes a, a crude joke, you should respond with a cruder joke. You know, that that kind of use the word masculine. They sort of yeah. that masculine culture kind of stuff. Yeah. And so 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 let's play it out because because I've been in those situations and let's see mm-hmm. if this this has as resonance. You're hanging out with a bunch of guys. Somebody says something really, I don't know, uh, sexist. Sure. Um, uh, really antagonistic, toxic mm-hmm. even, which is a popular phrase right now. And we are either silent. Right. Right? Yep. Yeah, that one just landed. Yeah. Or we go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, the the silent one really resonates with me. Um, Say more. Well, so like, uh, and, and it can it, it maybe it's not even to the point of being sexist or something like that. But it's you know maybe it's uh, and and it's maybe it's a less less masculine environment than what I'm proposing. I mean, it can just be a couple people going to lunch or something. But yep. it, it can be a case of like you know somebody the people start and, and I'm probably guilty of this myself, so I'm not pointing fingers. But somebody starts talking about a coworker and like, oh man, can you believe that person is dressing like that today or whatever, you know? And 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 part of you wants to like say like yeah, no kidding or whatever. Part of you also don't say like, "Come on, guys! Like, be nice!" Like, like. So it's almost an internal value yeah, conflict. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, and and you have a value. You have you have this sort of internal barometer, right, of the way people should behave and the way people should treat one another, right. And then you silence that barometer, right, to get along, mm-hmm. to not stick out, right, because the threat to belonging is so long. Mm-hmm. And so what does the the voice that's telling you, what is it that you need to, that, what is that voice telling you that you need to be in order to belong in that moment? Is it telling you to be silent? Um, I, I guess so. I'm. Um- I'm struggling with that a little bit because, like, in this scenario, I'm just, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to play my own, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> predictor of, like, what, what would I do in that moment? And I'm not sp- thinking of a specific moment that's happened. But because um, so, so what I'm struggling with here a little bit is my natural MO, like, in groups like that is just to be silent. Like, I'm, I'm somewhat introverted and, and I'm not, like, the one who's responding on every comment and, and you know, sort of leading the conversation. But but I think, yes, in that moment, I even more feel like that. Like, oh, if I if I come out with a counter comment to this, like that isolates me even further. And I'm already feeling somewhat isolated just due to, you know, my personality or, or whatever. And so I tend to be, yeah, even more silent in those type situations. Right. So for you in that moment, what's part of what's happening is that there's a, um, a kind of complicitness in your own silencing. No mm-hmm. one is actually externally saying to you, Joe, don't say anything. No, no, of course not. But you've internalized that rule mm-hmm. enough that it's created a structure where there's, 
the result of which is a dissonance, mm-hmm. where the outer behavior of who you are is out of alignment with the inner belief system that you have. Yeah. And the irony here is that one of the rules that you seem to have carried and internalized, and by the way, you're far from alone, is that to be a man is to allow the inner and outer to be out of alignment. Right. Now, I want to hold that thought for a moment, Mm -hmm. because I can speak just from my own experience, that perhaps the most important understanding that I came to in my late 30s, when I went through my second major bout of depression, Uh was that when the outer behavior no longer matched the inner sense of me, Mm -hmm. I would get depressed. Yeah. And it would go like this. I would feel anxious, I would get depressed, and then I would disassociate. Mm. I would almost literally feel like I was leaving my body. Mm -hmm. And so the body became nothing more than a meat bag carrying around my own sense of self, whereas my soul, if you will, was off to the side. Yeah. And then I would wake up wondering why I felt like shit. Right. Does does this resonate? It does. Um, It it, it definitely does. And I think for me, like, and probably for you as well, like, there was, like— there's lots of different stages of this, right? Like I, I've never in my life, thankfully, never been in a deep state of depression mm-hmm. um, like a lot of people experience. I would say I've had milder cases of mm-hmm. that when when these things tend to build up and I get really bogged down like in a, in a work situation where the, the, the mountain in front of me seems insurmountable and then you throw in some personal conflict and some some aspects of my inability to deal with it. Uh, and, and then, you know, the, I get, I get in these, these spirals where it, it occasionally, you know, every couple of years, mm-hmm. I'll seem to go through one of these where mm-hmm. it, it's just, it gets really hard. And, mm-hmm. and it certainly is. It's anxiety, like you just described. Mm-hmm. It's anxiety. And I think, I, I think this is a common response from what I understand. People deal with anxiety. They, they tend to squash it. They tend to, mm-hmm. you know, come up with coping mechanisms or whatever. Mm-hmm. At some point, that's exhausting. Like mm-hmm. they can't maintain that anymore. Mm-hmm. And then that's when it kind of mm-hmm. slips into depression because mm-hmm. it's like, the anxiety is still there. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing that's preventing that, but yet your coping mechanisms are are at their limits. And then it's like, okay, now now everything just sucks. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of get to that attitude. So um, so yeah, and I think the way you just described it, of in that mode, I would say what my outer self, my physical body, what what people are, can visually see me doing or hear me saying, is very disconnected from what's inside of me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I've had uh, two people in the last couple of years when I tend to get into that mode tell me after the fact, like, I can tell when you're in that mode. <laughs> like, I can see it on your face. I can walk into the room. Because you've with, actually exited your body. Yes. Without even you saying a word or even moving your body, I can tell, oh, you're Joe is not there. here anymore. Yep. Yeah. 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 So... You used a phrase when you were describing this and reflecting it back to me as a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. That is, in fact, exactly what it is. In fact, I would extend it and say it's actually a survival strategy. Mm -hmm. And this is an important concept to take in because when we're looking at these kinds of uh, issues, the tendency that I've noticed is for myself and others to then 
see this pattern and then to criticize myself for having this pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that resonates. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's wrong with me that I abandon my body? Mm -hmm. To use our visual metaphor. So to, to, to imagine is the soul stands off to the side, exits the body. The body continues doing its thing. It's empty. It's mm -hmm. an empty shell. Yep. Again, this is a consequence. It's a consequential feeling of the dissonance and the out of alignment between outer behavior and inner state of being. Mm -hmm. In our case, we're using as the jumping off point people saying things that are fundamentally against our values and we stay silent. Right. Right. That's an outer behavior, silence. And then we're doing it. But it's a survival strategy. Mm -hmm. And we linked this back before into belonging. Right. What happens, I believe, is that as children, we learn to get along. Mm -hmm. We learn that if we were to actually, truly, fully live in an alignment, which is probably the state where we were born where the outer and the inner are complete in alignment. Yep. I'm hungry. I'm going to cry. Right. I'm three months <laughs> old. I want to be fed. Yep. This is the way it, we are programmed. We learn to silence that. We learn, if you will, to disconnect the outer from the inner. Mm -hmm. The voice, and there's oftentimes a voice that lives within us that tells us to do this. Joe, shut up. Joe, don't you dare say that thing that you're thinking of saying. Mm -hmm. It's a nanosecond. It happens very quickly, but the voice is there. That voice is trying to protect you. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. What's it protecting you from? I think, it, to me, this, this idea of belonging really resonates. It's, it's a, if, if I screw this up, I'm not going to be included in this group anymore. And that's right. I mean, that's a very end-state, literal way of interpreting that. But, but from, from the amygdala's perspective, from the, from the limbic system of the brain's perspective, from a five-year-old's interpretation of the mm -hmm. world's perspective, yep. it's perfectly logical. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay, so when that part of our, 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 we were talking before about accepting in the positive and negative traits mm -hmm. that have been disowned, well, this voice is a survival strategy. This voice is trying to protect you from not belonging. This voice is trying to protect you from things like shame and humiliation. Mm -hmm. And if we welcome in that voice, and more important, say thanks a lot, and mean it. Yeah. But I don't need you to protect me anymore. Right. Because I'm looking across the room at a man who's 44 and at least presents as fully capable of taking care of himself. Mm -hmm. He may not be able to quiet his doubts. He may not be able to think clearly all the time. He may even make mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
But he can put food on the table, clothes on his back, take care of those he loves. Right? Mm-hmm. Notice the feelings as I name those things. Right. What are you feeling as I name those things? Um, you are a man who can take care. Right. How does that feel? It feels good. Yeah. So this is what a good man does. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that just landed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So when you can feel what you're feeling right now, and I wish that our, re- our listeners could see your face because it just got soft and red. Mm-hmm. You are fully occupying your body, my friend. Mm-hmm. When you understand that you are a good man, even if you make mistakes, the need for that survival strategy, that five-year-old's view of the world, gets lessened. And you can say thank you, but I got this. Right. I can take care of myself and the people that I love. I may have to take two jobs. I may have to work, but I can do this. Right. Right? Yep. What I often say is what we want to do, the answer to that voice is love. Mm Mm-hmm. The answer to that voice is to say thank you. Right. I really appreciate what you're trying to do for me. But I'm not five anymore. Mm-hmm. And we got this. Yeah. So, so what's going through my head right now is a parallel... Mm-hmm. Example that I'm trying to say, like, okay, is this the same thing or is this something different? So, um, if it's all right if I share Please. that, yeah. So, uh, uh, again, this is analogous, but it's very different circumstances. So, um, imagine I'm in a, a design review meeting with a couple of my engineers, and they're presenting a problem that they've mm-hmm. solved, mm-hmm. and which happens all the time. This is my day to day, and this sometimes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes there will be. Something that's presented, and I like some things like, I don't think that's right. And I tend to squash that sometimes, too. And if I'm honest with myself, not, not always. Like, sometimes I'm like, okay, this is wrong. Let's fix this, and then let's come back and try again or whatever. Sometimes I'll squash it, and if I'm, or I'll squash the feeling inside of me. And, and like, okay, I'm not going to say anything here. And I, if I'm honest with myself, it's coming from a couple different places, maybe at the same time, maybe in different circumstances. And it's, A, it's, it's insecurity on my own part mm. of, like, so there you are in the position of power, does, yeah, uh, exactly. opining so, uh, on their design. Yeah, and so, but but I'm, am I sure about myself? Like, I actually want to go off and and r- run this calculation myself, and then come back when I'm sure. And and a lot of times I'll do that, and I'll come back. It's like, oh yeah, I should have just trusted my gut because that was right. And sometimes I'm wrong, you know. So either way, but I think there's another part of me sometimes that I'm glad you use the word power because it, as leaders we are in a role of power. Mm-hmm. I think. I sometimes err on the side of, I don't want to abuse my power. I could tell this person, you're wrong, go back and try again. But like, I, like that doesn't feel good to me. Like, e- even if I feel like that's probably right, I want to deal with that in some other way. I don't want to, like, I have this feeling of like, oh, I'm going to humiliate this person in front of all their peers. Okay. Like, so, I want to. So what you're struggling with is 
there's uh, what it seems like you're struggling with is there's only two ways of being. Yeah. I can either be that guy right. who humiliates people, yep. which I do not want to be that kind right. of leader, or I can silence myself. Yeah, and I think this comes back to the idea of a mold that I'm trying to live into. Right. And I don't want that mold. Right. <laughs> but that's the way I've been trained. And that's with, like leaders I've worked under. And, that's and, what and they you, do. And you did and, something else really, really important, Joe. You saw the connection to your own internal insecurity or your own internal caregiving voice that mm -hmm. says, Joe, double check your statement before you say anything because you don't want to humiliate them and you don't want to be Myself. humiliated yourself. Exactly. Right? right? And that's that five-year-old's point of view. Mm -hmm. But what does the man, the good man, the good adult, what does the good adult say, which is different than the five-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. Um I think, I mean, this is also situational, but I, I would, if, if I was going to generalize it, I would say there's, from, from an efficiency standpoint, there's a time to make that statement in that room, right? Yes. To, to trust my gut, do it in a way that's polite, where it's not humiliating. So right? say it in a way in which your gut is being trusted. Yes. Say it right now. Practice it. Um, I would say, you know, I think there's a mistake in your formula here and I, or a wrong assumption or something like that. And, you know, I could be wrong, but we should, we should dig into that a little bit more and, 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 and get to the bottom of that before we go off and make a decision based on this number. Right. So that doesn't feel humiliating. Right. Nor does it feel squelched. Right. Right. So it's this middle ground um, uh, uh, in which what you just said was really powerful because what you did was you gave you gave voice to your instinct, which mm -hmm. is based not on some airy-fairy bullshit. It's like you actually went to school, dude. Yeah, exactly. And you've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> right. And you've internalized some things even without having to do the calculations. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Right? So you've given voice to that. Mm-hmm. Right? And... You've also created the space where the potential for you to be wrong can live. Right. Okay. Yep. Now, I'm going to drop a mic here for you, okay? <laughs> Hopefully it's a drop mic. In that instance, you're actually doing two things. You're being both chief designer and the leader. Right. Now, in doing what we just described, you're being chief designer. You're allowing other designers to be able to show you that you're wrong, Joe. Right. You're also um, relying upon that chief part of where you are because you got that title because of your experience and mm -hmm. you're honoring that experience. Here's the leadership part of it. You're modeling something. Yeah. What you you just heard? <laughs> yep. What are you modeling for the people who are sitting in the room? You're I'm modeling the behavior that I would love to see them exhibit someday with each other, with each other in the moment, and as a leader when they get to that stage. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So when 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 a leader allows themselves to quiet those internal voices, and you did a beautiful job of connecting. Something that feel, can feel very disconnected. It's like, what do you mean I've got this like view of what does it mean to be a man and how does it show? You made the connection right away. Mm -hmm. By quieting in a loving and caring kind of way, 
mm-hmm. what I was calling the five-year-old's view of the world. You, and acknowledging that you had a wish to not be that kind of a leader, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of leader, the leader we've always had, yep. the ones that make us feel like we're stupid. Mm-hmm. You've charted a course for where the good man is, or we keep focusing on gender. Let's let's make it less yes, gender specific. Where the good adult is. Yep. Right? My book is called Reboot, Leadership in the Art of Growing Up. That's awesome. Okay? Because what it's really about is using this journey of leadership to grow into the fullness of who we are meant to be. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the brilliant opportunity is. And that's what I just saw you do right here. Was give honor and recognition and a little love and a thank you to to an older way of viewing yourself while naturally allowing a sort of values-driven way to lead. And the consequence of that was I'm going to model a certain kind of leadership. Mm-hmm. Did I lay that out? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. You know, um, and all of this stems from the first step, which was, so I'm wired a little differently than Jerry. Mm-hmm. Not better, not worse. Yep. What's nice about that kind of a posture is my brain style can sit right next to your brain style. Absolutely. And we can work together in a team to solve problems, to create solutions, to build the kind of company that we all want to work for. Right. No, I think that's super powerful because it seems like a lot of people get in a state like that and have a label like that. It's like, oh, well, because of this, I'm now limited. Like, I, I can never do X or I, you know, this is going to affect my ability to do Y or whatever. And to me, it's not like that at all. Like, that's why I started with, of, to me, the only use of that label is as a as a way of, of exploring it, right? That's right. And and then, like, you know, acknowledge it and and focus on the aspects of it, but then use those to your advantage. That's right. Like I, I firmly believe I am the engineer I am because of the way my brain is wired. <laughs> like, and, and I am appreciative for that every day. Now, does it also mean I struggle with some things? Absolutely. But right. that's okay. I just need to focus on those areas and see what comes of that. And that, Joe, to me, is the definition of not just resiliency, which is something that we strive for, uh-huh. but something which I've increasingly begun speaking about, which is equanimity. I am who I am, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Foibles and all. Yep. And that is also something that we can model, not just for our colleagues and the people who have different positional power than we do. Right. But also our children and, again, the Mm -hmm. people that we love. Yeah. I'm okay, foibles and all. And I'm still going to keep growing. Right. Yeah. Joe, I want to thank you for this conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, you took a vulnerable step in writing to me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just been delightful. 
both the emails that we that we exchanged in this conversation and you know the truth is sometimes I'll, I'll share with you part of the view I sometimes have I know that I have and we have developed a reputation for a kind of a softer style mm-hmm. of leadership and I also know that there are a wide variety of ways to lead. Right. And there are a wide variety of ways to be as people. Mm-hmm. And the core message, I think, that we're all trying to get to, this, the, the, the core message that I'm, I'm really working with is that the question isn't how do we turn Joe into Jerry or Jerry into Joe? Right. But how do we allow Joe to be Joe? in the fullness of who he was born to be. Right. Because I think you're not just the engineer that you are because of the way your brain is wired. I think you're the adult oh, who absolutely. you are. Yeah. 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 That and resonated. And that's true of everyone. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and as much as anyone may want to change that about them, it's not going to happen. That's right. <laughs> you're wired the way you're wired. And that's right. you can only work on how do I... How do we become more whole? That's right. In that situation. That's right. You just said it better than I could have. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Will any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of Eric Dacus, Vice President of Product Development at Total Joint Orthopedics, Inc. The most obvious direct application of it was trying to view both the folks that report to me directly, laterally, and then my boss, the president of the company, that fundamentally we're all people and that we bring our incompleteness to work every day. And being able to step back from when like personality conflicts or communication deficits arise and being able to step back and ask, why are we miscommunicating? Oh, well, okay. There's probably a reason beyond I'm doing a bad job or they're a bad person. Like neither of those are true. So what is the more true thing going on? Oh, actually my boss is getting crushed this week with phone calls, appointments, and travel. And the super short reply that I got was not because she was being rude on purpose but that, oh, there's 20 million other things going on and I am one of them. And that ability to like stop and step back, we went through that over and over in the circle of like, no statements, only questions and no judgments. Oh, okay. And as like a process, that's really helpful to then turn and apply internally to the company. Like what is actually going on here at a human level? Because that's what we are. Consider joining a reboot circle. Our Circle's participants have called their circle their secret weapon. 
You'll gain more self-awareness and you'll know you're not alone in the challenges you face day to day. You'll find the same level of self-inquiry in a coach-facilitated cohort with six other leaders just like you. Apply at reboot.io slash circles.